All right, so God creates everything. In the beginning, God creates everything. He creates the universe. He creates earth. And then he creates humans. And he creates humans with free will, knowing that just a few moments later, they would turn away from him and they would forever break their relationship with God. And ever since then, ever since sin entered the world, we have had a broken relationship with God. And this was never God's uh, design for us. He designed us to be in a relationship with him. And so he selects a group of people and he says, with these people, I'm going to show the rest of the world what it's like to follow me. And this group was Israel. And Israel does a lot of cool stuff with God. Um, All of the Old Testament is filled with their story. And then they also do a lot of messed up stuff because they're human. And they're trying to blend what God is telling them to do with the stuff that they want to do and what the world is telling them they should do. And then this looks like it's just going to be more broken people the whole time. But this wasn't God's end game. It wasn't just to select people and hope that everyone else followed suit and hope that they would get it right. But through Israel, his real plan is revealed. That he would come down to earth, that he would live with us, and he would show us what it's like to be in a relationship with him. And he does that through Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just do this. He also says, hey, I'm going to die for you. The sin that separates us, the punishment for that is death. And I love you too much to let you die, so I'm going to die for you. But not only that, I'm going to come back to life three days later. And anyone listening would have said, that's insane and that's impossible. And even today, people are still saying, that's insane and that's impossible. But that's exactly what happened. Jesus calls his shot. And because of that, the disciples, they understand that everything Jesus has taught has become the most important thing to them. They start spreading his story from nation to nation. And churches get planted all over the place, including the one that we're in right now. Welcome to United. My name is Jacob. If you have never been here before, I'd just like to say welcome. And we are at the end of a series called Reckless Love. And this idea of reckless love, we talked about uh, at the beginning that reckless by itself is inherently a bad thing. It uh, can include reckless driving or like reckless abandonment and things like that. And it's typically bad, but when you pair it with the word love, it changes the definition. And the definition we're working with is doing something to benefit someone else, even though it requires sacrifice and will have consequences for you. And that's exactly the story of the Bible. It's the story of creation and history. Up to this point, God's pursuit of humanity, God's pursuit of you and me, has been this reckless love. And when I think about his uh, pursuit after us, despite everything that's happened, I think of a good parent. I think of a parent who uh, gives birth to a kid, they love and care for this kid, they have hopes and dreams and a vision for their future, but ultimately that kid can grow up and do whatever they want. And usually when they're toddlers, uh, they just get into trouble because they don't know any better and they like bite another kid. Um, and the parents are just like, oh my gosh, like I'm the worst parent ever. But then when they become a teenager, they just straight up rebel because they don't want to do what authority says. And so they end up doing things that not only harm themselves, but they harm other relationships, they harm their family. And even through all of that, the good parent loves that kid. Loves that kid through all of the mistakes 
and all the decisions that they choose to make. And when you put it that way, it seems like God loves people pretty easily. Like, just despite whatever happens, just love. And so, obviously, it's easy to love other people, right? No. Have you ever met another person in your whole life? Loving people is hard. Loving people is probably one of the worst things because it's two broken people trying to make some sort of friendship or relationship work. And there's always miscommunication, mistrust, betrayal. And, and so if God knew we were going to end up like this, if he knew we were going to end up broken and just so far from him, why even bother in the first place? Why even create humans? Why not just let the animals run around by themselves? But I, th- I think... The answer can be found in 1 John, and we're going to have it up on the screens for you guys. But in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What John is saying is that the reason God bothered is because he is love. And a God who is love creates people to be in relationship with, to love and love him back regardless of what they do. But then John shifts, and it's not like it's in a whole new chapter or anything. It's the very next verse. He starts talking about why we should love other people. And he says, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he is given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what is John saying? Because that is a lot. That's 14 verses. John is saying, this is what love is. God didn't wait for you to apologize. He didn't wait for you to try and be a better person. He didn't wait for you to even realize that you wanted a relationship with him in the first place. He died for you regardless. He made it as easy as possible because he loves us. It also goes on to say that this is why we 
love. When we truly understand the immensity of God's love, it changes everything. When we understand the immensity of God's love, it changes everything. And it doesn't just change how and why we love God. It changes how and why we love people. And so a lot of people assume that, like, we follow God because, you know, like, we have to. Like, it's, it's the only way. Like, obviously, like, we might as well do it. Like, whatever. But this verse is saying we love because he loved us first. We follow after God because he showed us love. It's not just blind faith for no reason. But it also is saying that the confidence we have for being a Christian doesn't come from reading our Bible. It doesn't come from praying. It doesn't come from how many church services you you go to or what your worship playlist looks like on Spotify. It all comes down to, in this world, did you live like Jesus? And so, because of that, there's another verse in here. There's another verse in here that you can just completely breeze by and totally miss it. And John says that God's love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete in us. Think about that. God's love wasn't complete when he died on the cross for you. God's love wasn't complete when he rose from the dead. God's love is made complete when you love someone else out of the love that God showed you. You are the final piece of the puzzle of God's love. Now, this partnership that God allows us to have with his love, um, it just kind of seems like, okay, whatever, like why would he choose to do that uh, and why should that matter to me? But for me, I think about it this way. If Marvel Studios came to my house tomorrow morning and they knocked on my door and they said, hey, we need you to help us write and direct the next Avengers movie. We can't complete the movie without you. I would immediately drop this internship. I would quit school. I would quit my job at Topgolf. And I would abandon Jacksonville with all my friends and family because I would be very excited to help complete this project. Now, I get it. Not everyone's a nerd. But for you guys, uh, Drake or Ariana Grande or fill in the blank for whoever you listen to and is cool musically now, what if they came to you and they said, hey, we need you. We can't produce our next album unless you help us complete it. Would you not be just as excited to get credit for the world to know that you had a hand in creating this album? This is what God is doing. He's giving us an opportunity not just to experience his love, but to be a part of it in the lives of other people. And so obviously love is a big deal to John. He says love 25 times in 14 verses. 25 times in 14 verses, and he has three letters besides his gospel. We just read out of 1 John, but he has 2 John and 3 John, and all three of those letters talk about God loves us and we love God. And because God loves us and we love God, we love people. So why is this so important to John? Of everything that is in the Bible and everything that Jesus taught, why is love the biggest deal to John. Well, can anyone, and go ahead and shout it out if you know, what is the golden rule? Go ahead. Come on, crowd participation. Let's try again. What's the golden rule? Yes, let's say it together. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, Jesus even says when he's asked by religious leaders, he even says that the number one commandment out of all the laws is to love God with everything that you are And tied for first place with that, equal to that, 
is treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, with that being said, the number one rule, John also says this in his gospel. In chapter 13, verse 34, he records Jesus saying this, A new command I give you, love one another. Seems kind of like the same rule still. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, on the surface, this looks like the exact same rule. And if it's not, does that mean that the golden rule, the old rule, doesn't matter anymore? No, that would be like saying, just because I have an iPhone 8 and the iPhone XS is out, that this iPhone doesn't work anymore and it just vanishes. Which isn't the case. It's just upgraded. There's an upgrade to the rule. So the rule used to be, love God and love people. It used to be, love God, love people. But this creates a problem. Because if the golden rule is, treat others the way you want to be treated, there's a loophole. And... I discovered this loophole um, as I was kind of growing in my faith. I struggle a lot with anxiety and depression and low self-worth and self-esteem. And so there are plenty of days where I do not feel like I deserve any sort of love. I know God loves me, but I don't feel like I deserve it. And so because of that, my perspective shifts. Because I don't deserve love, they don't deserve love. Yeah, God can love them, but it's not up to me, because if I don't deserve it, neither do they. But what Jesus is saying is, it's no longer love God, love people, it's love people like God loves people. Love people like God loves people is barely different than the old rule, but it's just different enough to make sure there's no loopholes, because this is how God loves people. God saw us break a relationship with him. We essentially betrayed God. He saw us sitting in pain, guilt, shame, loneliness, and he said, yeah, it was their fault. But I want to die for them anyway. I want to create a way for them to come back into a relationship with me. I don't need to wait for them to figure it out, figure out that they messed up or figure out how to do it better. I love them. Now, sin is a big deal. It breaks God's heart. And when I think about having a broken heart. I think about the first time that I was cheated on. And this girl, I had a crush on her early in high school, and we didn't date until my senior year, and things were going pretty good until she cheated on me, because that kind of puts a damper on things. And uh, she, she told me that she cheated on me, and I, I said, the first words out of my mouth were, I forgive you, because I'm a good Christian boy, and that's what I'm supposed to do. And then a couple months later or a little while later, some really messed up stuff happened to her. And the first thought I had was, well, she got what she deserved, which is not forgiveness. And that's not what love looks like at all. And that's not what God does for us. He could have done that. He had every right to. He created us to be in a relationship with him. And we chose to betray that. But instead, he looked at us and said, even though you don't deserve it and you couldn't earn it, I am going to give myself away for you. And so, if we're supposed to love like that, let's look at our definition of reckless love again. If God's love is reckless, then our love, too, should be doing something to benefit someone else, even though it requires sacrifice and will have consequences for you. Now, 
this whole series, we've been saying that this is God's love, and God's love is way more than we could ever do. So is it even possible to love like this? Is it even possible to love even though it requires sacrifice and will have consequences? The answer is yes. Jesus isn't going to ask us to do things that we can't do. But the, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you in love with the love of Jesus? Are you in love with the love of Jesus? Not for what he might do for you, not because he could answer your prayers and maybe get you a relationship that you want or get you into a college that you want or fill in the blank for whatever you're praying for, but because he already did something for you, because he already died on the cross for you. He took your punishment so that you could be in a relationship with God. If you aren't in love with the love that Jesus showed you, if you've never experienced that, if you, like, have experienced it, but it, like, is just kind of sitting there in headspace, and, and you aren't in love with this, there's no way that you can show the reckless love that we're talking about to other people, because it only comes from the love that God shows us. And so, this, this reckless love that we're talking about, Ryan talked about it two weeks ago, it chases people down regardless of, like, upfront value, whether they could earn it or deserve it or not. And so that is what we're called to do. We're called to love regardless of if the people around us have earned it or they deserve it. And last week, Clint talked about the proof being in the pursuit. The proof that you love Jesus, the proof that the Jesus you're trying to tell other people about loves them is in your pursuit of them. If your life doesn't look like the love of Jesus, why would anyone want the love of Jesus? Now, reckless love is led by the Holy Spirit. Reckless love doesn't just happen in big acts of grandeur. It happens in small steps over time led by the Holy Spirit. And as an example, life group leaders, I'm also one of them. We did not wake up one day and think, I'm going to spend eight years with students who are probably not going to listen or show up half the time, and, you know, who knows what they're going to do after college. It started with a small step. It started with feeling like they needed to serve, and so they took that step. And then that step led them to the choice, whether they could be a life group leader or not. And if they felt called, they took that step. And then once they get in a life group, there are other steps that the Holy Spirit calls us to take. I know for myself and Christian's life group, we have made plenty of decisions for the benefit of our group that required monetary sacrifice. They required time sacrifice. Uh, some of the consequences of uh, what we've done is we've created small monsters that are ninth graders now. Um, but we're doing it out of love. We're doing it out of reckless love. And over time, those small steps build up to something that can impact the kingdom forever. Because the, the groups that you're in and the, the leaders that you have, they're investing in you so that when you leave here, you can do this whole Christianity thing, this whole Jesus follower thing on your own. And you can in turn invest into other people. I also think about Cassie. She just did her rise up up here about how she decided to listen to the call that she had to make amends in the relationship with her dad. Her relationship with her dad is broken. He didn't 
earn that, and he probably didn't deserve it at all. She could have gone the rest of her life never talking to her dad again, and yet she chose to take a step into reckless love, and who knows how that is going to benefit her dad in the long run, but it required sacrifice, and it required consequence for Cassie. I have a friend who also struggles with a relationship with her family, and over the weekend, uh, she got into a little bit of an argument with her dad, and she's been trying to think of ways uh, to communicate um, the love that she knows God has for them, uh, even though they don't believe it. And uh, she decided that in the middle of this argument, she was just going to stop, and she was going to apologize. And she said, you know, I apologize that I wasn't clear enough in my communication, and, you know, I, going forward, this, this won't happen again. And she didn't have to do that. It wasn't necessarily her fault that her parents misunderstood whatever they were talking about, but she decided to take a small step for their benefit, not for hers. And it required being the person who apologized whether she was wrong or not. And at the end of the weekend, her parents said, I think this is the longest time we've gone without fighting. That's a big deal to families who fight all the time. And that is the result of her being faithful in the call to reckless love, one step at a time. Now, I also think about this story about a lady, uh, wow, a lady named Jamie Lang. She was a 23-year-old, just out of school, and she had $2,000 and a two-way ticket to and from Tanzania. She decided that when I go, once I spend my $2,000, I'll come home. No big deal, just a trip. She gets there and she sees the brokenness, the pain, and the suffering that's happening in that country. And, and she prays. She says, God, I just want to impact one person's life. Let me make a difference in one person's life. And so that small step leads her uh, just to start going to a local church. And at this church, she meets an eight-year-old girl who's carrying a baby on her back. And this baby is half the size that a healthy baby of that age is supposed to be. And she feels drawn to this baby, so she takes another step, and she just simply asks the eight-year-old girl, hey, what's this baby's story? She says, his name is Junio. He was born to a mom who's currently dying of HIV. We're just kind of waiting for him to die, and so no one will take care of him. And she responds to this calling that she feels to start caring for this little boy, and she starts buying formula so that he can get the nutrients he needs. She spends so much time, like, in her day with him and just playing with him and loving on him that it gets to a point where she feels called to adopt him. Now, Tanzania doesn't allow international adoption, so she has to stay for six months before she can apply for residency so that she can apply to adopt him. And then after that six months, because the U.S. is great, it takes five more months for him to get documents to come back home with her. And so she's there for a total of a year and a half. A year and a half, which I guarantee you $2,000 ran out a long time ago. And she eventually gets to take this boy home. But before all that happens, before the paperwork is done, before she adopts him, she has the opportunity to meet his mom before she dies. And she says, I have heard how you have cared for my son, and I have never known such love. 
I want to be saved. She didn't want to be saved because Jamie sat by her bedside and read her the Bible. She didn't want to be saved because Jamie invited her to church week after week after week, and finally she came and she heard a really good sermon, so she gave her life. No. She wanted to be saved because of Jamie's reckless love for her son. Now, it doesn't, on the surface, seem that reckless because, yeah, oh, that baby was suffering. Of course, someone needs to take care of it. But keep in mind, I'm 22. I'm a year away from where Jamie is at the start of this story. I am nowhere near ready to adopt or have a kid. Do I want one more than anything? Yeah, different story. I'm not actually ready. I have a job that, you know, kind of provides for me. I have uh, school still. I'm single. And on top of all of that, I have no idea what I'm doing, like, at all. Like, I had good parents, and I have great examples of parents, but I don't know how to raise a kid, let alone someone else's kid, who, by the way, might have HIV and, like, is really sick. But these are the the things that reckless love overlooks, because the sacrifice and the consequence doesn't matter because it's for the other person's benefit. And so, because of this, Junio's mom says, I know with such confidence that I'm going to see my son in heaven. That is reckless love. Reckless love is whether someone has earned it or deserved it, you loving them like Jesus loved you anyways because you didn't earn it and you couldn't deserve it either. Now, Jamie is not the only person showing reckless love, we have so many other students who are excited about the love that God has shown them, and so they are showing it to others, and we have a video uh, of them talking about that, so check this out. Reckless love, to me, is God not caring that you're going to mess up again, not caring if you acknowledge Him or if you're grateful or not, but He's going to love you anyways, just unconditionally and no matter what you do. In the Albany mission trip, I was, I really understood God's love for me because just listening to his word and worshiping every day, you were able to understand how powerful and loving God is. Knowing God loves me encourages me to love other people by serving the community and helping out others. God's love has um, allowed me to bring people closer to him and myself as well, just by knowing like how much he's done for me every day. It kind of wants me to like have all my friends be closer to him too to experience like what I've, what I've experienced as well. God's love has inspired me to welcome everyone I meet into my life and never judge them for who they are or what they have done in their life and always find out who they are so I can help them out if they ever need it and just love everyone I'm surrounded by. It's allowed me to be more accepting of others um, that aren't like me and I've become more loving towards just everyone in general. Reckless love inspires me to love others the way that Jesus loves us in a way that is unconditional. In Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrates his love for us while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So, yeah, please, those students are awesome. And they're not the only ones. We have other students who have decided to... um, live recklessly and live in reckless love because God loved them recklessly. But there are probably some of you in this room who 
you know, you would not call yourself a Christian. You um, maybe go to church, but you've never actually like really thought about this whole like idea of Jesus dying on the cross for you. Maybe you've known about this, but you thought, I am so far from where those people are. There's no way that who I am and what I've done allows for a, a spot in God's love. But God died for you while you were still a sinner, while you were still doing things that are not great, while you were doing things that were not relationship with him. He died for you regardless. And so if everyone could close your eyes and bow your heads, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you the opportunity if you've never decided to follow God before, if you've never decided to give your life to Christ before, if you've never decided to live in the love that God has shown for you, I would just ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. And Romans 10, 9 says this, anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And so on the count of three, if that's you, just raise your hand. One, you couldn't earn it and you don't deserve it. Two, God loved you anyways. Three, raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if for the first time you want to live and accept the love that God has recklessly shown you. With eyes still closed and heads still bowed, um, if that was you who raised your hand, um, we're going to pray a prayer. And I would ask that you just pray it with me. It's not the words that save you. It's not me saying them. It's not being here that saves you. It's you acknowledging for the first time that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and he did it all for you. Dear God, I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it, but yet you died for me. I want to follow you. I want to live my life for you because you loved me first. I know that it's nothing that I could ever do or a person that I could ever be, but it's all because you loved me. It's in your name we pray. Amen.